Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, leading experts Kate Swinaski and Andrew Davies discuss updates in lymphoma and CLL treatment in the UK, touching upon clinical trials, upcoming research and unanswered questions in the field. Hi, I'm Andrew Davis from the University of Southampton and we're here at the BSH um, in April 2022 and we're here with Vijay Hingmonk and Kate Zinarski from University College Hospital is here with me. Um, so Kate, you chaired this morning the lymphoma and the CLL session. What came out of that was, was interesting for you? Well, the first talk was Polarix, which of course Graham Collins presented. And I, I was sort of interested, particularly that the very impressive PFS and EFS advantage was not mirrored by an overall survival advantage. And I just wonder what you thought of that. Yeah, I think this is really interesting, you know, because we can see a 6.5% improvement in absolute PFS when everybody's been followed up for two years, but no overall survival advantage. So that's interesting. I mean, we could see that, that there was less use of second and subsequent line therapies, such as autographs and CAR-T in the, the population that received povetuzumab. And I would have thought that that would start to have had an impact upon overall survival. And actually, all the patients have been followed up for 24 months. So you kind of thought there might be some separation in the curve, but maybe actually because of the effectiveness of second and subsequent lines of therapy, then actually we're just not there yet. And we perhaps need a bit more time to follow up this, um, this data. Um, I think the heterogeneity in clinical effect is really interesting mm. in this study. You know, we saw that some subgroups clearly benefited and some subgroups didn't. And so we saw that the IPIs who were three to five had a very clear benefit. Well, whilst those patients who had IPI scores of two didn't, the ABC subgroups appeared to benefit, those who didn't have bulk and those who were older patients. Now, what to make of all of that subgroup analysis, I think is going to be really interesting when it goes to the funders. But of course, you know, some key demographics such as being female and being younger were the groups of patients who didn't benefit. And, and I don't know how the funders are going to make anything of this clinical heterogeneity. Yeah, I was going to ask you, do you think it's robust enough to even know that, um, as you say, you could deny it to the people who don't have those characteristics? Well, you know, trying to pull apart subgroup analysis is absolutely full of pitfalls. These are completely underpowered, and I think we should yeah. limit what conclusions we draw from this data. Yeah. So one of the exciting things for us, I mean, we've just open remodel it A and you know we're delighted to have remodel it A open for many reasons. I just wondered if you would just summarize you know sort of um, details of the study. Brilliant well you know thanks Kate I mean the the remodel A study is asking the question if you add a calibrutinib to RCHOP chemotherapy can you improve outcomes in previously untreated patients with diffuse large B-cell lymphoma because I really believe there's an important message in the BTK inhibitor story in diffuse large B-cell lymphoma. And you may say, well, you know, um, the Phoenix study with a brutinib didn't really work out for, for frontline approach. But actually, if you look at younger people, um, we saw that there was a clear EFS advantage and overall survival advantage. The difficulty was the toxicity, 
from the ibrutinib which compromised the delivery of the R-clock chemotherapy. But actually with acalabrutinib as a next generation BTK inhibitor, which has a much tighter kinase selectivity and much less off-target side effects, we hope that we can gain the benefits of the BTK inhibitor um, without the toxicity and without the need to reduce any doses of R-chop. And we've seen that in the phase 1b exploratory study of acalabrutinib with R-chop chemotherapy that we actually didn't compromise delivery of chemotherapy if you were older and the event profile was the same in the older and the younger patient group. So it seems to me a very attractive way of getting the advantages of the BTK inhibitor. So we recruited to Flair and in the abstract session this morning, Pete Hillman presented on behalf of Talmanir the premature cardiac death in the Flair study in patients who were treated with ibrutinib compared to FCR. And I just wondered whether you would reflect on that when we counsel our patients in the Remodel A study to be included um, to enroll onto that study. So I think this is really important. I think that, you know, it's great that this is, Flair was such a big data set that you can able to look back and, and to look at, look for these, these patterns. I think what's really important and, and reflecting on this for Remodel A is of course that the exposure to acalabrusim is much less, but it's only, it's only a short duration of exposure as it is for DLBCL therapy compared with the exposure that there is for CLL therapy. And of course, you know, because um, acalabrusim has this tighter kinase selectivity, we hope that it has much less um, cardiovascular toxicity. And that's been demonstrated in a simple head-to-head -head randomization between ibrutinib and acalabrusib in CLL, much less cardiac toxicity. So I, I, I think it's important that we counsel our patients, but I think we, we, I have less concerns about this in DLBCL. And certainly, so just as our session finished this morning, I had um, notification that one of my patients who I've just recruited to Remodel A has been randomized to the acalabrutinib arm. Now that's Correct. a two to one randomization. And part of the reason is there was sort of much discussion at ASH about CNS prophylaxis. There seems to be, you know, very scant evidence that high-dose methotrexate or ITs are effective. But I do know that acalabrutinib and other BTK inhibitors do cross the blood-brain barrier. And it's quite possible that my patients are going to potentially gain in a CNS prophylaxis way if they're randomized to the calibrutinib arm. Can you share my enthusiasm yeah, for that? I, I think you know we need to resolve this question and solve, make, find new ways of reducing CNS risk. We know that acalabrutinib crosses the blood-brain barrier and we hope that this is going to be an effective agent potentially at reducing the risk of CNS episodes. I don't know that doing trials in this group is really difficult yeah. because the event rate is, is very low but you know I'm hoping that that's potentially one advantage of using of using a calibrated so yeah let's wait and see i mean we're going to open the prism study the ci is chris fox that's later this year in primary cns lymphoma in the relapsed refractory setting and that's with xanabrutinib so certainly you know there's data on other btk inhibitors in primary cns lymphoma and certainly i'd love access for it in secondary cns lymphoma so um i'm sort of certainly um delighted when my um to discuss remodeling with my patients Brilliant. and of course you said at the beginning it's a two-to-one randomization so great advantages in terms of getting experimental so Kate whilst we're just talking about CNS lymphoma I just wondered if there was anything that was on the horizon in terms of secondary CNS lymphoma after the publication of the Marietta study yeah so after the Marietta study we've had you know another a number of other sort of small studies published we've just 
finishing our last draft of a good practice paper in secondary CNS lymphoma, which I have to say was one of my most challenging because we've really sort of come from, there really aren't uh, many other um, guidelines in that setting. Certainly, um, we have data on over 125 patients who've had an autograft with thiotaper-based conditioning, and we're just finishing our review of that data set. And also, we're exploring the role of, of CAR T-cell therapy for our patients with secondary CNS lymphoma, both on the national panel and also in the trial access setting. So really important data, and I look forward to being able to see that. Kate, as always, it's a great pleasure to be catching up with you. Thanks very much. And Enjoy thank, the rest of your meeting. Thank you, Andy. Pleasure shared. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Hemonk and subscribe to VJ Hemonk podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.